It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to I'll Tell You When You're Older, a podcast built by teens for an all-inclusive audience. I'll Tell You When You're Older is a podcast focused on educating our local KC metro community on prevalent topics. From origin stories to penderias, this season's topic highlights the complexity and beauty of the Northeast. You may think we're just a group of adolescents, but we're here to reclaim our voices and understanding. After all, we're tired of being told, I'll tell you when you're older. Thousands of years of history has shown us that radical changes to dominant power structures are not accomplished by pushing oppression to the wayside. Now, oppressed social groups are united through shared lived experience. Often, the shared lived experience can look like shared traditions, cultural practices, and things such as but it is equally common for shared stories of oppression to unite groups and culture. This is when schools need to open up their buildings and open up their districts to talk about things that are inherently not allowed to talk about. When a big stabbing occurs or when a big fight occurs, students need to be openly talked about and what the consequences of those actions are. Only then can students reciprocate what happened in that scenario and can understand why these things are not necessarily important to actually resolve any of the conflict that even started some of those actions. Now, the recognition of this common ground can be a galvanizing force for social movements. For oppressed individuals, their oppression is a defining part of their identity. And channeling that desire for liberation has produced some of the most successful social movements in global history. Ignoring systemic and institutional racism and the effects they have on people of color is not really an effective long-term strategy, but rather opening conversations, having roundtable discussions, opening up panels, and being able to talk about those shared oppressed lives and shared oppressed times with a variety of people is what actually is going to help us get over those systemic and institutional racism so everyone understands that we all are all the same but with different diverse backgrounds. Allowing oppressors to tell the oppressed that discussions of their discrimination and lived experience are the cause of their oppression is literally textbook victim blaming. You've probably heard that a lot and it still carries over. 
We've done nothing about it, though we've identified that textbook with victim blaming has occurred for decades and centuries. Think about the formation and motivations behind the Black Panther Party, missing and murdered indigenous women, or the no DAPL or pride movements. The common cause within these movements is shared lived experience, but more specifically, shared lived experience of oppression. When oil pipelines cut through the sacred indigenous lands, or police shootings disproportionately killed innocent black teens, society's response to the unimaginable sadness and anger of oppressed groups should not be an optimistic view, but rather we should come together and understand that this was a dangerous act and this should not occur again. Turning the flip side and saying, it's okay, nothing really happened, is not going to solve that issue but rather it's going to perpetuate in the future and it's going to only further those actions and we're going to see that cycle of it happening over and over again. Despite making up more than half of the population in many countries, young people ages 18 to 30 often find themselves marginalized from mainstream politics and decision making. They struggle to gain the respect of public officials and are seen as lacking the skills and experience to engage in political activity and to lead positive change in their communities. Like I said before and discussed, that lack of critical thinking and that lack of taking leadership is because we don't teach those skills in our education system. Rather, we're too busy talking about textbooks and talking about those lived experiences through the optimistic viewpoint, but not what happened and why did it happen and how can we prevent it in the future. That's what critical thinking is, and a lot of the teens and young adults, when they go out in the workforce, they don't see those skills and that's why a lot of employers don't have that critical thinking mindset within their communities and within their companies instilled. That is why companies don't see that growth that they could see, but rather they've had that same shared experience for the last 10 years or since whenever that company was established. They've never had a new mindset. They haven't had a new rebranding where they had changed the way that they took upon things, but rather they've continued because there's no critical thinking involved in these large corporations. Now, this exclusion combined with limited educational and economic opportunities can leave young people both idle and frustrated with the status quo. That frustration can't be changed because we don't give our youth opportunities to get involved within the political processes and contribute to practical solutions that could advance the development that these smart young individuals can oftentimes solve. When given an opportunity to organize, voicing their opinions and playing a meaningful role in political decision making, young people consistently demonstrate their willingness and ability to foster positive lasting change. They also become more likely to demand and de defend democracy and gain a greater sense of belonging. We shift a lot of these key roles away because we don't see that youth advice and that youth key role playing in our political decision making. 
a lot of times when you look at education boards and school boards and districts, a lot of those decisions are about teens, but we don't ever see a single teen serving on that board. So how do individuals of that district know what is actually wrong? By looking at what happens in the hallways? Or what teachers tell each other? That doesn't really solve anything. But if you have a student serving on the board, their peers and themselves actually know what is happening within the grade and not just that surface skim level that we're too busy concurring and defending and not going into those in-depth materials. Many times, vulnerable people are hurt by delegitimizing shared struggles between peers. Many groups of people in society face massive struggles across demographics. Struggles of relating to racial violence or poverty or sexism. The world is not a safe or constantly happy place for most groups of people who regularly face oppression and struggle for years. As a society, it is incredibly harmful when we exaggerate the struggles the marginalized communities have in voicing their oppression and advocating for change. It also makes people more hostile to movements that arise from shared struggle. In the midst of a national BLM movement, many people responded by trying to focus on the positive aspects of the lives within Black communities, rather than facing the fact that they still, after years of oppression, face violence and hatred every day. We still see that after the big BLM movement that has gone on for years, after getting advice from political parties, after getting millions of dollars of funding, we still see years of oppression, facing violence and hatred, recycling occur each day. Let's take a look at an example. Northeast Middle School. This past year, Northeast Middle School went through a middle school stabbing. There are a lot of key issues within that stabbing that we won't necessarily get into, but the most important part is that conflict resolution part that lacked within that entire scenario. Two middle schoolers got into an argument. First of all, there should have never been a knife or even the idea of stabbing involved in either of their minds or hands. But it occurred, so let's move past that part. The second is where were the teachers when this occurred? Where were the teachers? Where were the teachers when they didn't sense that hostile behavior between these two kids? They work full-time in a school. They see hostility between kids, and still action was never taken upon. These kids were never taught that using violence didn't solve anything. There's still hatred on one party of those two kids because they weren't able to have an actual conversation and talk about why they even argued in the first place. Now, not only does one kid have to burden the fact that his consequences killed another middle school child, but the family of the child who passed away has to live with the burden that their kid got into an argument and the argument was never resolved. That hatred still exists and you can't ever resolve it because one party is completely gone. Examples like this show you why conflict resolution is so needed. This isn't just the first example that we've seen local. 
we saw that shooting that occurred at the high school. The superintendent said rather than funding that school, they wanted mentors. They provided mentors and we saw an uplift of behavior within the schools because we saw actual conversation happening one-on-one. A lot of these times, students want to talk, but they don't have anyone to talk to, which is why conflict resolution seriously lags within all schools, any part of the world. This isn't exclusive to the United States. This isn't exclusive to Canada. This is exclusive to no one. It happens everywhere. Cases just don't get out because high schools, middle schools, and elementary schools are able to suppress those incidents. I bet if you went and asked someone in New York, did you hear about the Northeast Middle School stabbing, they'd probably say no. That's because A, that trial was actually closed off. That trial was not public to the parties of either parents. And second, that trial wasn't public to the parties that actually went to that school. No one knows what happened because it was kept and closed. First, that lacks conversation that should be occurring. Second, this disables other districts to actually reflect on what happened at one middle school and teach their kids the opposite to actually resolve that problem. We see no steps being taken to resolution because suppression is an easy way out that we see in our society today. We need to change that mindset and we need to change that role playing and talk about how suppressing is not something that should be done, but rather bringing it out, talking about it in the open, even though it may be difficult, is the best way to go. We talked to another person from Maddie Rhodes. He serves on the director board of Maddie Rhodes, and through that formal conversation, we talked about having a potential teen board that would be permanent serving at Maddie Rhodes and talking about social issues. I talked to I talked to him about it, and he told me that he would um, tell me to go to his supervisor, which I did. And after talking through the supervisor, we definitely talked about a possibility of having a teen board. So let's talk about what can happen if we have a permanent teen board serving in each community on each side of the world and what um, positive impacts that it can bring to society. First, we would see that those struggles across demographics within those different school districts actually come together and be resolved because kids would be talking about problems that are happening at their schools and other kids would be able to input solutions. Then those kids could go back to their district, have a meeting with their school board members, and then talk about, oh, this is what another district did and it definitely worked. This is why we should try it at our district. Second, we see more youth getting involved in politics within the community, which is so needed. A lot of the times, we see tons and tons of money go into the funding of youth involvement within the city. Kansas City, for example, gets around $79 million each year for youth. But where does that money go? It's not transparent. None of us know. None of the youth know. I tried looking for it online to see where any of that, to see where some of those um, allocations of the money went. I really couldn't find anything, which is so surprising considering the fact that our city has to be transparent about those things. 
For example, we just had a large internship, the ProX internship. And a lot of the kids went through that internship. And whenever they got out, some of them were refused their money because of the lack of communication. Instances like this kind of come out in the community and we oftentimes have to refer back to ourselves and think about where does that money and funding even go. Now given that opportunity to organize and voice their opinions and play a meaningful role in political decision making, we can bring these instances out and teach others that this wasn't okay but rather we need to turn around and solve this and making sure that this doesn't happen again. Transparency is going to defend democracy, and it's going to demand that defendant of democracy. Without transparency, we won't see that occurring in the status quo. One Kansas City Radio, bringing together local voices and showcasing the multicultural community in Kansas City. Thank you for listening to I'll Tell You When You're Older, a podcast built by teens for an all-inclusive audience. Our goal is to create a platform for youth to share their truths in a space of equality and respect. I'll Tell You When You're Older supports youth-relevant systems change by prioritizing youth voice, participation, and inclusion across a diverse KC metro. I'll Tell You When You're Older is a creation of youth-led KC and the youth-led impact team. Our podcast is made possible by the support of One Kansas City Radio. We believe that all youth voices and perspectives deserve to be heard, and we would encourage you to consider adding your voice and ideas to future episodes. Thanks again for listening.